The opinions expressed on the ACB Media Network are those of the content providers and should not be viewed as an endorsement of any product or service. Nor does it reflect the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. We will we will go ahead and get started now. Uh, welcome everybody to our thoughts. It, it or I should say your thoughts. I'm sorry to your thoughts. It is August twentieth. And my name is Trish. I am the facilitator of this call. We have Angela hosting for us today, and we also have Mr. Herbie streaming. So thank you both for being here. Um, Today, as I said in my email, uh, this is going to kind of be a two-part call. The first part will be uh, where we will be talking or having our Uber representative talked to us for a bit, and then we will open the floor for your comments uh, and suggestions. And then the second part of our call, I thought we would go back to our topic from last week regarding um, whether you went to residential schooling or you were mainstream, and how did that uh, affect you today as, as an adult? So, Let's go ahead and get started. I see Miss Brianna Gilmore is here with us, who is our Uber representative. So welcome, Brianna, and the floor is yours, ma'am. Uh, thanks, Patricia. Thanks so much for inviting me here today. My name is Brianna. Really nice to meet all of you. Happy Sunday. I'm excited to be with you all. Um, as some of you uh, might be familiar for me uh, with me already, I've um, presented a couple of times to members of the National Federation of the Blind and the American Council of the Blind and to some community-based disability organizations in my role um, at Uber, at which I've been for about a year. Um, Or maybe we met in previous roles. I've been a disability advocate for about 12 years um, and I've been a lived experience advocate um, during that time and a a policymaker as well. So um, I've worked in a few different communities, uh, my lived experience communities of psychiatric survivors and neurodivergent folks and also work with folks who have been incarcerated a lot in uh, psychiatric institutions or have dealt with suicidality or homelessness um, and moved to kind of cross-disability, more public health work five or six years ago and uh, moved into this role at at Uber last year. I had really been looking for something um, where I could kind of mix my interests and and skills and uh, my love for my community altogether. I have a background in urban planning and think a lot about fairness and discrimination in our urban environment and the way that human migration can really be um, dictated by policies. Um, And I also just wanted to continue to advocate um, for my people, for my community. So I'm really grateful to be here in this role. I will say, um, I usually say at the outset, I was surprised even when I saw the the job advertisement looking for somebody like me, somebody with my experience, both lived experience and otherwise, and then just continuously surprised as I went through an interview process at Uber. really hadn't thought ever of working kind of in a corporate environment. I'd worked in academia and government and, um, you know, nonprofit work and community-based organizing work. And all of a sudden was just meeting these incredible people at Uber who cared about all the same things that I cared about, who, you know, were really passionate about making the world a more fair and just place and really committed to um, equity and, and rooting out discrimination in our communities and thinking about 
um, you know, housing injustice and mobility injustice for folks and people who were so eager and curious about the experience of people with disabilities and knew what they didn't know, knew that they they really needed um, more information. And, um, and I've just continuously been met and I'm met every day with just such passionate people around me, um, these colleagues of mine who um, are eager to do better and to create um, always a, a better app, a better experience for all of our users. Um, including those with disabilities. So when I came on to the work, I knew that I'd be working on a few different priority areas, especially in the first year. So um, I was working, I work a lot with a team called a product, our product equity team. And we think a lot about compatible software we think a lot about the experience of users. We think a lot about designing better products for folks. And so we were specifically focusing on um, people who are blind and low vision, people who use service animals with our app, and people who are deaf and hard of hearing. I also work with uh, groups um, like our mobility and, and fleet partner teams who partner with um, wheelchair accessible vehicle fleet operators across the country and in a few different localities. Um, and as a, as a policy advocate, I've really been thinking through with a lot of our local policy folks and advocates on the ground of trying to resolve really longstanding issues in the, the wheelchair accessible vehicle and, um, you know, issue of mobility aid transportation, um, trying to figure out what uh, you know, kind of what our mobility landscape would look like if we really had appropriate investments in a wheelchair accessible vehicle that we currently don't have. I work with a lot um, uh, with our local and federal policy teams quite a bit on trying to align the policy priorities of the disability community with our policy priorities, because we believe that when our communities succeed, the business succeeds. And so um, I think about income caps on social security, for example, and because I know that a lot of our earners do have income caps and, and really would like to earn more um, and like to have more flexibility. And so, you know, I work with my federal team on, on advocacy issues like that. Um, and then I work with our local partners to try to get our, uh, our local, um, you know, urban policymakers, our city policymakers to think about how to use um, federal investments um, to ensure accessibility in our public transportation systems, to ensure that our, our public and our private systems are better aligned. And then I also think globally. So I, I help our policy teams in um, regions, you know, around the world think through how to engage better with stakeholder groups, how to be more community informed, how to design user research um, that can really drive product solutions and locally tailored solutions when the way that we talk about disability and think about disability changes so much in our cultural context. And uh, lastly, I, I think a lot about aging adults. So I think about um, uh, you know executive function and neurocomprehension, the use of products and services that we interact with in terms of technology, how that changes over time with age and uh, certainly our experience of comprehension. And then I think about trust and safety, especially for aging adults, but uh, you know, the ways that we know that we're safe and keep ourselves safe, especially in interpersonal environments and during interpersonal um, kind of tension or cultural conflict. Um, I think about fairness and especially fairness of all of our users, fairness of our riders, and then fairness and perception of safety when it comes to drivers uh, who uh, do, you know, are often in high pressure environments and worried about their livelihoods and safety as well. And, um, you know, of course, our drivers are living with as 
uh, as many disabilities as um, any of our other users. <laughs> and so thinking about, um, you know, the, the way that we keep our drivers uh, safe and healthy and happy as well. So, um, yeah, so I just wanted to give kind of an overview of what we've been thinking about. I, some of you might have heard me talk before about um, the work that I've been doing with our product equity team and users with service animals on our app. Um, obviously, we know that this has been such a longstanding issue that Uber's, um, you know, really looked at for so many years to try to resolve. And I think, you know, the continued dissatisfaction of the community has never been, had never been more present when I came into Uber last year. I, it was just a few days after I started that um, Uber was officially condemned by NFB. And so, you know, folks had gotten the message pretty clearly that this was not this was not something that was working. Our solutions weren't working. And so we really had to go back to kind of square one and say, okay, well, so the solutions that we've been implementing haven't um, resolved in a high equitable environment for, for users with service animals. And so what can we do better? And so we've been working for the past year on a range of solutions that started with um, user research and a lot of user design and has led to an increase in policy reminders, kind of, you know, better illustrations, clearer language, um, more language translation for our drivers, um, uh, you know, better investigations practices. It, it led to the, um, the work of investigations when trips go wrong for service animal users being shifted to our critical safety incident team to recognize that any kind of any trip denial of a user with a service animal is, is a high risk safety incident. And it's led to a lot of greater transparency and working with experts over time. And we're continuing to build. We, we know that we have a lot of work to do. It's not just one solution. It's, you know, 10, 20, 30 solutions. And it's, I think, you know, years ahead of work of just iterating with the community and making sure that we're getting solutions right and, and going back to the drawing board when we haven't. Um, and so I won't get into like all of the, the details of kind of those solutions. I want to leave plenty of time for questions, but just, yeah, I wanted to give you an overview of the stuff that I've been working on for the past year. I wanted to introduce myself and um, make sure that you know that there are folks inside of Uber who are a resource um, for our users with disabilities and that this is an area of commitment that the company is, um, has been taking very seriously. And we really look forward to continuing to engage with community members like you and, and learning together. Okay, um, so um, at this point, we can open up the floor for questions. We already have one hand raised. I personally do have one question I wanted to ask Brianna regarding the service animals, and that is uh, when uh, someone get past, gets passed up uh, for a ride with uh, who has a service animal, what is the consequence for that driver who just drives on by or just doesn't just doesn't stop at all or anything like that is there what is what is the consequence for those drivers so our policy is and always has been that anytime a driver knowingly discriminates against a rider with a disability or a rider with a service animal, um, that they lose access to the platform permanently. They're no longer able to drive or be a courier on the platform. And so that requires, you know, a, a couple things. The first thing that it requires is knowing that it happened, right? So if you're a person with a service animal and that happens to you, we know how exhausting it is, especially if it continuously happens 
to keep submitting uh, trip denial reports through the app. Mm -hmm. Um, But that is the only way for us to know. And so, uh, you know, some of you, I'm sure, have been through an investigation before where you're asked to submit any information that you have. We look at the information that we have. So, for example, we look at um, where the vehicle was. So if we hear from the driver um, that they, oh, they had to, they were on their way, but then they, um, something came up and they had an emergency and they had to go, but we can actually see on the route map on the app that they passed right by you. We would know that that wasn't, wasn't the truth. And so we'd look at all kind of available information that we have. We'd look at any messages communicated through the app. Um, you know, sometimes people say, oh, I communicated with the driver ahead of time that I had a service animal and they said, sorry, I don't take dogs and canceled the trip. So we look at information like that. And anytime that we can determine that a driver knew that you had a service animal and that, um, you know, that was the reason that they had canceled the trip, then they lose access to the platform. Um, And so, you know, we know that there's been some doubts about that, especially because there was a period of time where Uber was uh, as a product of uh, litigation that we we shared de- that deactivation information with individuals. Um, and we don't share that anymore. That's been a privacy standard that um, the company implemented across the board for all of our users, all of our investigations that we no longer share that information. And so I think there's been some real frustration, some understandable frustration that folks just don't believe that that's our policy or that we uphold it. And then on the other side, there's a lot of frustration in the driver community of, wait, I I didn't, you know, understand, or I thought that I had a strike, or I thought this, or, uh, you know, and folks just, of course, caring about their livelihood. And so um, we've been trying to figure out how to balance um, the right amount of education for earners to make sure that they really understand and grasp our policy, so that there's never a time that a driver says, I just didn't know, and I would have done it differently. Um, and to make sure that any driver who is discriminating mm-hmm. against a service animal user, any person with a disability, um, or any other person, that they're no, they no longer can drive um, with Uber. Okay. okay. Well, thank you for that information. I did have another question, but I'm going to go ahead and take some of my hands right now. So the first uh, person is Kitty. Go ahead, Miss Kitty. Hi, can you hear me okay? Yes. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Um, I guess I have a couple questions. One is that often what will happen is drivers will cancel the ride. And if you go into your trip history, it looks like the trip never existed because the driver cancels it. I'm wondering, does Uber have... um, if a driver cancels like that, do you can you still have a history or do you still have any history that the trip occurred? Because if I report it and the driver canceled it and the trip no longer exists, then, you know, who's right? You know, so do you have any um, do you have any evidence that that the trip? did in fact get canceled by the driver or does it just get erased and how long do you have that evidence that's one of my questions and then i have one more quick one 
Okay. Yeah, we do. We do have that information. We know that's been such a point of frustration. We've been working for years to, uh, you know, I know that sounds like an enormous amount of time, but it's surprisingly difficult to build that into our, um, uh, to our algorithm, but we have been working for years and hopefully we'll be able to um, share with you soon that we have any trip that you've um, requested on Uber in your trip history. Um, the, a lot of different communities, you know, have been asking for that for a long time. And so we know that that's been frustrating, especially because when you do have a successful ride, you certainly don't want to report against a driver who's, um, you know, fulfilling your trip request. But we do have that information on the back end. And so if you submit a trip denial, we're going to know that it's not for the successful ride. Um, you're just going to share the information of like, you know, around the time and, you know, where you were calling from. And we have all that information on the back end whether you write in or you call. Um, and I'm not sure how long we do store that information. So uh, let me follow up um, with Trish after the call and see if I can get an answer to that. Okay. And then my other quick question is, I recall seeing um, a bulletin some time ago that Uber was now allowing five minutes for people with disabilities to get in the car rather than two minutes. Um, however, on my app, it still says that I have two minutes to get in before there's a surcharge. Mm -hmm. So what's the deal? Is it two or five? So of course we would need to to know who you are in order to implement that. It's, it's uh, neither two or five. So it's really, uh, I should say, unlimited, but with respect to our drivers, um, as a person with a disability, what you need to go in is go into your settings under your profile and um, submit a, a, a wait time fee waiver request. And so this is just, you just acknowledge that you're a person with a disability. You don't share, you know, you don't share what that disability is. You don't share why. You're just acknowledging that sometimes your disability prevents you from getting to the car within two minutes. And then the wait time fee is waived indefinitely. You don't have to do anything ever again. It's just stored in your profile. We do ask that you, the five minute issue is really just about being considerate of your driver and just say like making sure that you are ready to go um, before your trip. But of course, if you need extra time to enter a vehicle, we don't expect you to compensate the driver on that. And so um, just make sure that that's ticked off in your settings. Sometimes I will get that message. Like I have it ticked off in my settings. Of course, sometimes it takes me longer than two minutes. I have um, a mobility disability. Sometimes it takes me longer. I have that setting ticked off in mind. Sometimes I'll still get the reminder, like, please, you know, please go get, see your driver within two minutes or your driver is waiting for two minutes. That just shows up for everybody, but it doesn't mean that you're going to be charged. Okay. I will, I will try to find that. I did submit that question okay. and um, okay. I, unfortunately Wait. I never got a response back from your uh, okay. answer number. We we are going to have to move on. I'm sorry. We have a lot of hands. Um, That's so all my thank questions. Thank you for your question. Okay. Thank you. Um, and also, guys, I just want to let you know we have quite a few hands. So please, if if you have a question, which it looks like a lot of you do, try to be brief when asking it. So, um, okay. Mr. Ray, go right ahead, sir. Thank you, Trish. Um, I will be brief. Um, Brianna, uh, one thing that I've noticed on Uber is it, if I want to request an Uber in advance, like I'm say I'm going to the train. And so I want to make sure that I, you know, request that Uber. 
the the charge is like way higher, fair, much higher than it would be if I just requested it. Why is that? Because it seems like we're being penalized for letting you guys know, your our drivers know, hey, um, we need to pick up at such and such a time. That just seems a little backwards to me. So I'd like an explanation on that. Thank you. Yeah, so the model of Uber is really on demand, and that's why it works economically for drivers as well, because they not only have flexibility, but they can move kind of instantly from ride to ride. Before their ride is even finished, they can pick up their next ride. So when we reserve a ride, we're actually reserving the wind a large window of time before that ride begins to tell the driver to go offline. And so what we're actually doing is limiting that driver's ability to earn on the app for, you know, uh, you know, I don't know what the exact time period is, but we actually, that extra money compensates the driver for the amount of time that they go offline before that trip. And so it, uh, it does seem like it would benefit us, but it's, but our, since our system is built on, on demand, that the benefit isn't to us, the benefit is to the rider. And so you do pay because it is a guaranteed ride. It is kind of like a, a preferred service. It's not meant to be um, a benefit to the company. It's meant to, to guarantee you a certain, uh, certain level of service. And that's, yeah, that's why we charge more is because it goes directly to the driver. Thank you. I, I, that's about the best explanation I've heard of that uh, ever. So I will <laughs> to move on to the next question. Thank Thanks, Ray. All right. Thank you, Ray. Ebra Amasta. I think I'm botching that one, but Ebra. <laughs> Ibrahim. Uh, <laughs> Go ahead, Ebra. So I just want to find out, is Uber Eats out of the uh, scope of this uh conversation hi no it's not i oh my gosh no. i think about mm-hmm. uber eats no okay um so oh. i was recently in a call with uh, a senior disabled member and he was asking if there's a telephone uh, way to um order via telephone basically i did try and do a little research for him and found that in new york there is but i don't know if that expanded uh, to anywhere else Oh, you know, that's a good question because we have, um, I feel like I know the answer to that question, but I don't want to be wrong. Let me follow, let me follow up with you because we do have one for rides. We, um, introduced just a few months ago, a, a toll-free number where you can call and order a ride for folks who don't have smartphones or use blind mm-hmm. shell. Um, uh, but I, and I want to say yes, that that's true for each, but I don't actually know that that's true. So <laughs> even, let me follow up with you about that. Okay. Thank you. Very good. Thank you, Abra. Um, Eugene, you are next. Good afternoon. Hey. Can you, can you hear me? Yes. Yeah. Well, my question is, I know on some of the Uber rides that I take, the drivers will pull up and they'll park, you know, 20 to 25 to 30 feet away from where you're at, especially if you're at a business or somewhere. And then you get a message on your phone saying your drive, your ride has arrived. Well, being totally blind, you know, and they're 25 to 30 feet away, you're not going to see where they are at. And they just sit there and eventually, you know, maybe somebody will help you get to the vehicle. The driver's still sitting inside or he'll roll the window down and say, I'm over here. Okay. That doesn't help a heck of a lot, especially on your thing when it says you're blind, you know. 
I just didn't know what the policy was. Are they, can they get out and assist you to the vehicle? Or, uh, you know, the other day I got a ride and it was pouring rain and she had one of the new cars that you have to push a button for the door handle to pop out. Well, I didn't know that. I'm standing out there in the rain trying to find where the door handle's at. Yeah. Yeah, this is finding the vehicle is is a big safety issue for so many of our communities. And uh, we try to think this through on a lot of different levels. Some of it is some of it is an education and a policy issue for our drivers. Some of it is just better product solutions. So um, ways that you might ways that we might be able to integrate software that would help you find a vehicle, right? And making sure that that's intuitive to use. Um, and right, some of it is just better communications principles that I think we need to be thinking through. Of, of you know, if you're an, a rider in that situation, how can you very easily communicate with your driver that? you prefer maybe not just a standard type of communication, but a unique form of communication that works for you. Maybe you prefer a driver to honk when they honk their car, when they horn, when they pull up to a curb, because you know that you can locate by sound. Maybe you do prefer a driver to roll down their window or get out of their car. Um, uh, Or maybe you do need a little bit extra assistance and you want to make sure that they know exactly what that is and know how to communicate with you about that. And so um, we know that that keeps coming up for folks and folks come up with their own solutions for it. But we know that that should be easier for you, that it should be more intuitive in the app. And so I don't have any, um, you know, great answers to that about how we're solving for that yet in a universal way, except to say that it's just something on our minds continuously with the product equity team. And um, we're doing some design testing now to figure out uh, really what would work for people, especially if folks, you know, maybe people don't want to identify as having a particular disability or, or saying that in front of every driver. Maybe they just need to indicate how they prefer to locate their vehicle and they don't want to have to talk about it in terms of their disability. So I appreciate that that question. It's definitely something that I think is going to evolve over time. We know that it's a big concern um, for people like you. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Eugene. Dollar, go ahead. Thank you, you are muted. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go. Um, one, the question I have is this. I live in, in southern Florida, and obviously we have a lot of Hispanics down here, which is fine. But every, when I request a ride through GoGo Grandparent, most of the time, I'm getting drivers who speak Spanish but cannot communicate in English. And for me, since I don't see well, that's a real problem mm-hmm. because I can't point where they need to go if I need to. So what are you guys doing to improve the situation where your drivers not only speak one language, but they at least speak English in addition to that other language? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I mean, this is really kind of that next iteration of what Eugene was just asking in terms of communication principles between a rider and driver. It's a huge safety issue for drivers as well, who just deal with, uh, you know, really riders that they can't satisfy, that they can't figure out what their needs are or something goes wrong and they don't have a way to communicate. And we know that issue has existed for a long time. I mean, it existed with taxis and otherwise, but um Uh, you know, we do know that we can facilitate that through technology. And so some sort of way to translate information back and forth, that's not really distracting to a rider because 
you know, if you wanted to tell your driver something, you could communicate through text in the app even during the ride, but that's not necessarily a safe way for the driver to communicate and doesn't solve kind of emergency issues. So I would just say it's something that we talk a, a, a lot about in our equity and our fairness team to ensure that, uh, you know, it shouldn't matter who's getting in the vehicle. True accessibility is about usability. We need to make sure that any driver paired with any rider really understands communications principles and that we have a tech facility way to communicate between the two of you. And so I just hope that we can um, work to resolve that in the coming years uh, through the technology of our app. I don't use the app, but okay. I go through GoGo grandparents. So, I mean, they, I think you need to require your drivers to at least get some fluency in English. Okay. Thank you, Dolor. We're going to have Thank to move you. on. And we do have sure. a few more hands. Um, so I hope you can stay here for just a little bit more time, Brianna, to, to answer these. And I have a solution if there's time to what Dolor has just asked, but I won't share it with you now until all these hands are have gone through. So Sharon, go right ahead, ma'am. You are next. Thank you. My question is, um, I often send uh, a message to a driver saying, I'm totally blind. Please say your name and my name when you arrive. And sometimes that works really well. But I'm wondering if drivers automatically see the message on their dashboard or if they have to go looking for it. Thank you. They do, they do see it. And it is a safety protocol that we do recommend to drivers is to um, you know, say, uh, oh, are you Sharon? My name is. So that is a safety standard. We expect, uh, not that we expect runners to hold the, we do recommend because it goes, you know, it's, it supports their safety as well and making sure that they're fulfilling the right ride. So they do see a message um, in the app, but they have, you know, they have so many distractions. They have the map going on. They're trying to navigate their environment. And so unless they, if they can't find a rider or if they've been waiting for a long period of time, we know that a driver might go into the screen to look at a message, but they might not just because they're trying not to be distracted by the message. If, if they, if they think that they, you know, know where their rider is right away. So it does come up. Yeah. They don't have to go looking for it, but they might not see it right away. And, you know, I've had the experience as someone else was mentioning of of no thinking you know the drivers here but where are they and of course cars are so quiet now the hybrids that it's it yeah. can be they can be oh so close and so far away <laughs> thank yeah. you Th thank you sharon next we have mary go ahead mary hello um i also have had the experience of having uh drivers that do not speak english i've had that happen on several occasions um and uh but i had a very unique um communication issue come up i take uber every day to and from work i'm thankful for it love the service but this one particular day um i had asked the driver for their name and my name to confirm and the driver did not say anything and i was not sure what was going on and come to find out the driver was totally deaf and i am totally blind <laughs> and oh, so sure. there was absolutely no way that we could communicate he was holding up pieces of paper for me to read and that was just not working and so thankfully my sighted co-worker told me what was going on and i didn't want to cancel the ride because they were already there and i didn't think that would be right so i took the ride and then I okay. immediately called a sighted family member and told them 
please come by my house. I have a driver I cannot communicate with. It's 110 degrees. I don't want to get dropped off at the wrong place. And so that was how I handled that situation. But I would love to see there be some way that either we could as riders indicate that when the driver took the trip, if we want to, hey, I am blind or have us be able to see for the driver, hey, I am deaf. And so that way we, those communication and safety issues could be prevented. Yeah, definitely. And okay. some, Thank you. In some ways, that's just such a sweet thing. You know, sweet thing, you know, we love when access intimacy happens, right? When we see other, when we meet with other people with disabilities and we want to figure something out together. And then in that case, it's like, wait, but how, like, how do we do this? And so yeah. we want to make sure that, you know, especially as community people in community together as people with disabilities, those are the times where we most want to figure this out together and support one another. So yeah, again, this is like, this is a big communication issue. There's no reason that technology couldn't solve for this issue or just make sure that uh, your driver was, was compensated if neither of you really felt safe during that um during that interaction I um, was not feel safe that I, it was yeah. very awkward I was like what okay. happens if thank you very much yeah thank uh, you. I will say so I'm I'll have time for one more question after this I just wanted to say I know that folks want uh you know do want an opportunity to self-identify that folks have done that um anecdotally for a really long time and that we do offer drivers our deaf drivers the opportunity to self-identify because it does lead to safer experiences and improved experiences and we also know that identifying yourself as a person with disability is a big deal it's it's not something that necessarily improves your safety it's something that you know our right to privacy being upheld in the ADA we take very seriously and so we're we're trying to figure out what the balance is of that so that in that situation you would have the option to to figure out how to communicate and both of you would know what was happening um but that's um that is hopefully a, a solution that we can figure out uh, upholding the privacy of our riders with disabilities while making those interactions easier Thank you, Brianna. Um, Richard, go ahead. All right. Thank you for being here, Brianna. Uh, two things quickly. Uh, I have a suggestion because all of us that use a guide dog, you know, we feel for the driver who doesn't want to get hair, hair in their cars. Could you suggest to the drivers to keep an old sheet or an old blanket to put down to solve that problem? Because we don't want to get you know, turn down on a ride and they probably don't want to get hair in their car. So that could be a solution for that problem. The other thing I wanted to suggest is that when you add a ride with voiceover on an iPhone, it always puts it in the wrong order. And it's very, very difficult to try to switch it in the right order. I wonder if you could address that. Thank you. Sure. To your first point, Richard, um, it, we definitely recommend this to drivers in our policy reminder. We do know that cleanliness um, is still a big issue for drivers and they might not, they just might not want to go to the hassle or might not understand. But we've heard from drivers that that's been very helpful, just the reminder to keep an old sheet or blanket in the trunk and use it when an animal comes into the car. On the voiceover issue, I've never heard that before. So what's, when you say the wrong order, can you tell me, can you give me an example of what's happening? When you when you try to add another stop, it adds the stop but in the wrong order. It takes you to the new stop instead of the if say if you want to add another stop, it takes you to the stop you added first as opposed to the stop you already have in the app. Okay. 
I see. So when you're, so it's not every time you dial a ride, but if you're, if you're, if you're going, adding, if you're adding a destination, if you're adding a destination. Okay. And I've actually had a driver help me with the phone and there, he said there was a double error that, that the uh, voiceover was not reading it. So mm -hmm. whoever wrote that into the code, it, yeah. it's not written in, in a way that voiceover will read it. Got it. I really appreciate that. And we really appreciate any time that we can hear from community members when there's a software bug, because we do have folks on our product team who use different types of accessibility software, but it doesn't mean that they catch everything. Maybe they've just never tried that, you know, type of ride with voiceover. So I will submit that right away to our engineers as a bug. Usually it just, you know, then it'll be triaged within the next two weeks and then hopefully within the next couple of months can be um, resolved. We know that, I mean, there's always kind of a, a back order of bugs. It doesn't resolve in the next couple of days, but um, I'll submit it right away. Yeah, and, and sometimes there. like when iPhone updates and that too, it creates bugs. So it may not I always be so like frustrating. Yeah, it's so frustrating to have to, I know our engineers have to do that all the time, keeping keeping pace with updates, and then they do this testing life cycle with every single update. Um, and so we try to make sure that we're on top of those things, but we know how it's frustrating. And then it's like unsafe because you don't know that it's about to happen. It's like, it's one thing if you can figure out your workaround and then deploy that, but then, you know, there's an update and everything goes awry. Yeah, it just so. seems like it could be easier to add a ride. It, it right. really is difficult because it puts it in the wrong order. Then you got to figure out how to switch the order and the, the guy's driving at the same time. Yeah. So you don't exactly. want him to take you to the wrong spot. Exactly. Well, I appreciate okay. that, Richard. And, uh, Patricia, I'm going to have to jump off the okay. call. But I, I, yeah, I, I, I understand that. And I wanted to thank Richard. And if I can, I just want to make one suggestion to you uh, regarding the, lang the language barrier. Um, I was wondering if it would be possible to look at the app and perhaps um, uh, revamp it or I can't think of revise it. There you go. Revise it a little bit where perhaps you guys could maybe add a field that a user could check that could say something like Spanish only or English only. That way um, folks can be assured of getting someone that they could communicate. Don't know if that could be done, but I wanted to make that suggestion to you. Thank you so much for that recommendation. And for anybody whose uh, questions I didn't get to answer today, I don't know if Patricia, if you want to maybe collect them afterwards, you're welcome to send them to me. Um, we do have an email address set up for folks in the community who use service animals, um, and that is serviceanimals-group at uber.com. I'll make sure that Patricia has that um, that email address to send around to everybody. Um, and if your question is kind of outside of the, the realm of service animals, but you still want to submit it through that email um, address, um, I would appreciate hearing from Trish as well, just because I'll personally answer it. Um, but anytime that we receive feedback um, for folks with disabilities, for users with disabilities through that email address, it just kind of gives um, more momentum to us being able to allocate more resources um, uh, to all of our users uh, with accessibility needs. So yeah, just to say that uh, before I sign off and say, thanks so much everybody for having me, for spending this part of your Sunday afternoon with me. It's really a pleasure to meet you. You and I hope we get a chance to speak again. Well, thank you so much for being here, Brianna. We we really appreciate you taking time out of your Sunday spending time with us. So thank you again very much for being here. Thanks all. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay. So um, if anybody does have a question they wanted to submit to me that I could submit 
to Brianna, just go ahead and email community at acb.org with your question and tell them to um, to share that with me. And then I can go ahead and send that on to Brianna. Um, and hopefully we can we can do it that way and get your questions answered. So, gosh, we had some really good questions. I'm glad you guys asked them, too. Um, so thanks for thanks for doing that. All right. So now uh, we will move on to our second part of our um, of our call today, which is going to be uh, going back to the topic we had last week where we talked about um, residential schooling versus um, mainstream. So um, let's see. So we do have some hands raised, so I'm just going to go ahead and continue on down the line here. As long as you keep your hand up, uh, we're going to go ahead and acknowledge you. And um, so anyway, the next one is a phone number, uh, 951-342. Can you please identify yourself and ask us your question or share your thoughts? I'm sorry, share your thoughts with us. Um, yeah, that, you know, I have a, my question was about Uber, but I can also, my name is Nancy and I, Nancy. I, I, I did go to school for the blind in, in Columbus, Ohio. And, um, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I just think that, um, the, I don't think the education system was as good. I think that's where the school for the blind was. I can't remember. It was a long time ago, but in the meantime, I don't know if the, if, I don't know. I, I think I felt it was a long, long time ago, but I don't know if they update the educational materials. Um, because mm-hmm. I, I just felt like some things were outdated and I had to go to summer school to make, to make sure that I could get to co- go into, go to college. So uh-huh. has, has that been addressed recently? Thank you. I don't want to monopolize the conversation. No, you're fine. I, so, so you, you were not mainstreamed. You you went to a residential, and you don't think you got an appropriate education, right? Cor- correct. I, I mean, you know, there was. What do you think you were lacking? Response. What What do you well, think I you just lacked? Science and um, I don't know oh. language languages, things like that. But I, I just felt like some of the materials were probably outdated. But I, I had no proof of that. That was, I mean, I'm oh. almost seventy years old now. I'm almost seven mm-hmm. years old now, but that was a long, long, long time ago in the, you know, back in the sixties. Mm-hmm. But yeah. um, okay. I just felt like I didn't get the best education, but I went on to college, you know. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Well, thank you, Nancy, for being here. I think you're, you're a first time caller. So I appreciate you coming to our call today. Well, thank you. You're welcome. Miss Linda, go right ahead, ma'am. Okay. Um, can you hear me? Okay. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Um, all right. Well, I'm, um, I have uh, moderate to severe hearing loss along with the, the vision issue. And I have not been using Uber lately because, um, even though there's a resolution out there with ACB, um, you know, I get let off at the, a place and I don't know where I'm at and I take off and, um, I have issues with people that have foreign accents um, and, you know, I, I won't have to wait forever for an answer. But the other thing is when I complain about something, 
they'll say, Uber will say, okay, well, we won't send you that driver anymore. And it's like, if I, if you live in the suburbs and there aren't enough drivers around anyway, that's not acceptable. Um, they need to educate these people so that they can do something about the problem. And, um, mm-hmm. so, and also, last but not least, how do you get to the Uber settings to say you're disabled? Oh, good question. I don't know. <laughs> um, maybe somebody else could answer that question. I'm not really sure. But Linda, if you have, um, if you can put that in an email, I don't know if you still have my email or not. I know you. Well, should, I don't you know don't, your name you, or the email. So, all right. This is this is Trish. Oh, okay. Uh, you okay. know me. I'm I'm from. Daytona. Okay, okay. I didn't so, realize that you sounded familiar, but I didn't get it. Okay, good, good, good. Okay. Yeah. So if you don't have my email, then just send an email to community with what you just stated about Uber, and then they'll forward it to me, and I can forward it on to Brianna. We'll I appreciate that. Thanks so much. Okay. Sure. No problem. Okay. Um, let me go to Lynn Coral next. Hi, Lynn. Hi. Well, I grew up in a mainstream situation in New York, and I think New York was one of the more progressive states in the 1960s, late 1950s. And I was definitely mainstreamed when I was in about seventh grade, and that would have been uh, 1964 or 1965, something like that. Then my parents thought about sending me to a residential school, but they didn't. They felt that I was doing well enough in the Braille class or the resource room, as really called, um, and going to regular classes with the other students that I could stay in, uh, uh, you know, the, the regular public schools. Not, I mean, it wasn't a neighborhood school. We had to go to the school where there were resource rooms and teachers who knew Braille and typing and things like that, but it was definitely mainstream. Okay, good. So you thought that you got a good education and uh, and all that good stuff, right? I really did. I really did. Okay. I, because, because you know, I went to the classes with everybody else, so I learned what they learned. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I was subject to the same tests and, you know, uh, SATs, PSATs in New York mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that everybody else had. So I felt that I really got a decent education. I was even in honors English for two years in 10th and 11th grade. So, yeah. Good. Okay. Well, thank you, Lynn. And thank you. Thanks for sharing. And thanks for being here. You bet. All right, Mr. Ray, you are up. Go right ahead, sir. All right. Well, thank you again. Um, I've got a little bit of a story to tell, but I'll be as brief as I can because I know we have other people. So um, I'm kind of, oh, this annoying thing. It says it thinks I'm done talking. Anyway, um, so I started out in a mainstream situation. Well, let me back up. So like kindergarten, I actually went to a local center for the blind that had a preschool and kindergarten program. Um, and I went through that, but what they did, I think it was in the last quarter. It's been so long ago. I can't remember, but I think what they did like four days a week, I got to go to my local uh, elementary school. And so my brother and I mm-hmm. caught the bus together and uh, we only went till noon. So there was a bus to take me home and they had uh, they had set it up so that um, I had to be met at the bus by uh, my, my, one of my parents or my grandpa or whoever, because we lived, we lived on a major highway, and uh, obviously I wasn't going to be crossing that at six years old. Mm-hmm. Um, 
first grade, <laughs> this is before IDEA, so Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. So um, I did go out of district uh, into the largest city near me, which is Rockford, Illinois, uh, in a cooperative situation. So I did get um, to school there. So I went, that was a mainstream situation. But then, so in second grade, I went to the Illinois School for the Visually Impaired. But, and so, and that was 250 miles away from home. It, we only got to come home maybe every six to eight weeks. And I was bullied mm-hmm. there. And so it was, it was not a real good experience for me. The sad part was, Trish, that I lived 20 miles from the Wisconsin school for the visually, it was called the visually handicapped. Oh my goodness. So my parents basically said, we're not, um, we're not going to send you back to Illinois. We're going to figure something out. And they actually almost considered moving to Wisconsin just to get me in there. Well, what we ended up doing was, and this is the best thing that they ever did. One of the best, the best thing they ever did for me was in starting in third grade, all the way up through graduation, I actually, we did some legal maneuvering and routed everything through my grandmother who lived in Wisconsin so that they could kind of get around the uh, state rule. Um, ah, I you established residency there. Temp- it was kind of a temporary legal custody kind of thing is what it was. But, gotcha. every- but, but the thing was, everybody knew that I was lived in Illinois. Now, my, now the only the, 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 the caveat on that was my parents had to provide transportation to get me to and from school. But it was 20 miles. It was a half hour. I could come home every weekend if I wanted to. And that was really the best thing that they ever did for me because I really excelled. So I was a residential school, I'm a proud residential school graduate. Um, But what I did do in my junior and senior year of high school was um, I did take a couple of classes a day at one of the local public public high schools so that uh, I could get that uh, pick up, get some things that I couldn't get at the school for the blind. Um, I really felt like I got I gained a lot uh, going through that through the residential, because not only did I, you know, do excel and do well academically, but I also got all of the uh, skills and, you know, O&M and Braille and some of them, some of the things I, I I don't feel like I would have gotten. And man, those have been such uh, great skills. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm regarded even by uh, a lot of dog users as one of the best cane travelers you'll ever see. And so, uh, I, you know, I, I felt very blessed mm-hmm. to get to do that and to, you know, thank you. I'm so thankful that uh, my family was able to, uh, we were able to work things out so I could go to Wisconsin. And uh, I mm-hmm. so just, it just, it was a great situation for me. So that's my story yeah. and I'm sticking to it. And I, I do feel, <laughs> I do feel there is still a role for residential schools for the blind these days, maybe not as much as there was uh, with all the technology that we have and everything, but uh, uh, definitely, I think there's a role to make sure that, you know, you get, you, 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 number one, number one, you get all the blindness specific curriculum that you need, but also I think socializing and you know meeting other blind and visually impaired kids, I think is real important. And I think that's, uh, that's somewhat lacking. I think today that, you know, the opportunities to do that. So anyway, that's what I wanted to share. Thanks. All right. Well, thank you. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for being here. Right. All right. Area code 
501-970. Can you unmute and let us know who you are, please? Five oh one, can you unmute, please? All right, we're going to move on to area code. Okay, I got it. Nine seven zero. I got it now. Oh, okay. Go right ahead. I'm and sorry. We, we don't have a long t uh, a okay, lot of time left. Okay. Go ahead. Okay, I'm going to piggyback who on is what this? Ray Campbell. This is Teresa. I'm sorry. Who is this? Oh, hi, Teresa. Teresa. Okay. Hey. Okay, I'm going to kind of pick gotcha. up part, okay, part of what Ray said. Now. Go ahead. Okay, I went to uh, residential schools, and I was there uh, 13 years. Actually, though, um, before I started kindergarten, though, uh, my grandmother came and got me. Um, I was living in Indiana at the time. My family was. She came and got me and took me back with her to Kansas City. Well, she lived outside of Kansas City to a um, like a preschool that had uh, mostly blind children. But see, I didn't know that everybody else in there was blind. I really didn't even know I was blind because I had a little tiny bit of sight. And I could see walls and the floor and the, you know, the, um, the uh, what they call the thing between the wall and the floor, that molding or crown molding mm -hmm. or whatever they call it. Right, I could right, see right. that, mm -hmm. di different shadows and everything. Okay. I could tell Good. when the door was open. But, um, I went to the school for the um, one in Indiana for a year, and then one in Virginia, and then uh, one in West Virginia. My parents liked, okay. they loved the Indiana School for the Blind the best. They said, you know, they liked it because they wanted the, uh, okay. the, the teachers and staff wanted the parents to know everything about the child. And my parents remember getting newsletters that were specifically about what the children, you know, what we were doing in our class. Not everybody okay. else in the school, but our class. Right. They okay. liked that. The one they liked the least was in Virginia. And that was because my parents wanted, I mean, the staff wanted me to stay for at least a month before I went home. And my parents said, no, that I was going to go home every weekend because I only live okay. 30 miles away. And, um, right. my, um, um, sister, somebody told me that my father said, we'll be up on Friday. And that was that. Okay. Uh, Miss Teresa, we have... Uh-huh. Oh, I yeah. know. we got more hands. Okay. Okay. Yeah, we have but two I hands and five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. oh, I'm okay. glad that you did. I'm, I'm so glad. Yeah. And I, do, I certainly don't mean to cut you off, but... I, I really would like to get these but other I, two hands in here because we only... I appreciate the mobility and the typing and the braille that I got in the schools for the blind. Good. I'm glad. Important. Okay. Yeah. Thank, thank you thank again you. for being uh -huh. here. Um, area okay. code 970-874. And uh, then we have one more hand. So please yeah. make it and as I'm brief as you can, Okay. Okay, I'm from Colorado, and I was mainstreamed in 1960 as a kindergartner and went all the way through 12th grade um, in the same school, and it was the, um, uh, what was called the normal school back in the 1800s, 1900s. Uh -huh. It was um, uh, University of Northern Colorado and it taught teachers how to teach. Mm -hmm. 
So I was surrounded with uh, college students all the way through uh, 12th grade. And uh, then I graduated and went on to college. And um, uh, my undergraduate, well, not undergraduate, my uh, um, elementary school years, junior high and high school prepared me to be in the medical field um, and to go and get get a degree in dietetics, which is food and nutrition, and work in the community, and also work in, uh, have two internships in hospitals. So um, I feel that Excellent. my education was really good in in the scientist, sciences, and it allowed me to um, continue on uh, to graduate school and study health education okay. and early childhood Great. education um, administration. Great. So, um, so I, I really was glad that I was uh, mainstreamed. I learned Braille when I was 43 because they did not teach it uh, when I was a child. I only had primary print, what they called a primary print at the time. And it's it's what we would call large print. So um, okay. thank you very much. Oh, you are welcome. And thank you for being here and sharing. And Miss Pam... You are next, and you got about a minute and a half. Okay, it'll be super quick. This is an answer. This is an answer to Linda's question about where do you find settings in the Uber app. You go to the accounts tab, account tab, which is over at the lower right corner, and you swipe down a ways in there, and you will find settings. Ah, okay. I knew it was there somewhere. I just couldn't remember where. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, thank you. That's good thank piece you. of information there, Pam. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here again. Thank okay. you. Okay. We are two minutes away. Um, so I just want to say thank you to everybody for being here. Um, I hope you enjoyed the call. Uh, I hope you got something out of the Uber information that was provided. And um, I was very pleased with these questions. They were all very good questions. So um, thank you again for being here. Um, we will be here again, um, let's see, next Sunday, same time, same place. Um, if anybody would like to email a question to me again, please contact community at acb.org with the email and just ask them to forward it on to Trish, who is the facilitator of your thoughts, and they will be happy to do that. So once again, thank you all very much. Enjoy the rest of your day and have a wonderful week as well. And we will see you next week.